All right, ladies and gentlemen, this one is special to me sitting down today with the one and the only Michael Zeisberger. I'm very excited for this. Uh, we're going to sit down and talk about the All-Star game, break down the Battle of Alberta a little bit. And of course, this is a Maple Leaf-centric podcast, so we are going to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs and all it is. Mike, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, and I'm certainly not uh, uh, deserving of your high praise, but uh, we'll try to get through it, and it's my pleasure to do this. You guys, you do uh, great work, and uh, you know, let's get her started. All right. Well, the first thing I'm going to ask you about, obviously, All Star Weekend just passed. For you, what was the highlight of the weekend? You know what? For me, it was it was the three on three women's elite game, and uh, you know, uh, I know a lot of people might not uh, agree with that, but I thought it was a wonderful showing. I think it it really displayed the skills um, that these girls do have, and I think there is a place for for women's hockey. Uh, very much so, uh, you know, on the sporting landscape. And I, I, I thought it was a great boost for them. And, and, you know, the one thing is when, when you discuss something like All-Star, I mean, the three-on-three tournament, it's fun to see the, the, the guys play and the, the skills competition and that. But that was the one competition where for 20 minutes, you know that these girls don't like each other because it's Canada versus the U.S. And I don't mean like there's any disdain um, where they can't, they can't sit at a podium and get along. Yeah. But you knew that they wanted to beat each other. So the raw emotion, uh, you know, of competition, I thought that was displayed in that three-on-three women's game more than any other time in the, in the entire All-Star weekend. No, that was something I was looking forward to. I mean, not only for the fact that the two teams don't like each other on the ice and they want to be competitive and win, but the fact that I have two daughters at home and letting them sit down and watch, you know, these women play the game at the highest level on All-Star Weekend with all the eyeballs, all the media attention, and letting them see that this is something that is attainable and something that can be, you know, grasped if they want to do it was amazing because I've long said the NHL shouldn't sit on their hands with the, the women's hockey leagues they should not just dip their toe in the water with what they've done on All-Star Weekends now in back-to-back years, but they should help create and build something so there is a league for girls and women to play in and aspire to and look up to. And I'm wondering, do you feel the same way on that? Yeah, I do. And, I, I you know, I, I, at the same time, I'd also love to see some outside parties uh, help in this as well. I mean, it's, it's disappointing. Um the fact that the two leagues that were going on could not coordinate um, and, and, and provide one product. And so it was just um, divisive, um, you know, in, in previous years. So uh, I think it's a combination of the two, but I think it's, and, and, you know, I think you brought it to the grassroots that, that you have a couple of daughters at home and it should be obtainable, you know, I mean, it was, it's different 20, 30 years ago than it is now. And, um, you know, we've seen women like, like Cassie Campbell-Pascal and, and women of her ill kind of blaze the trail, you know, uh, obviously Haley Wickenheiser, yep. blaze the trail um, for young girls to, to, to get, to, to take part and have dreams of playing hockey one day. And, uh, you know, in Haley's case now, um, she's employed by the Toronto Maple Leafs as, a, you know, um, as a skills development coach, and and it should be 
uh, something that girls can, uh, you know, aspire to one day. And so, uh, you know, I think that in, in, in that regard, um, it was probably the most meaningful uh, thing that I saw on All-Star Weekend. And the other thing I, I just wanted to, uh, you know, add to this was I thought it was really cool um, during the game. And this is, I'm going from apples to oranges here. But prior to the game, um, when Layla Anderson, we all know who she is. Yep. We all know, um, you know, the disease that she's battling. We all know that she became kind of this um, rallying point for the St. Louis Blues. But, uh, you know, when she announced that the Blues players uh, who were on the All-Star team prior to the game, uh, you know, you kind of got a little, uh, we all got shivers up in the press box as I'm sure the 20,000 in the uh, people in the seats did too. No, it was meaningful. That was something I think was well done, well handled. I mean, it was a, it was a detail that, you know, shows that the St. Louis, uh, you know, brass didn't overlook anything. And she was actually really good on the mic too. You know, maybe something that she may want to uh, be doing later on because that was amazing the way she did that. And I wouldn't be opposed to hearing her do it more often, to be honest. And it's, you know, you brought up the St. Louis Blues Brass. Isn't it funny how uh, how an entire organization and an entire city can reinvent itself through, you know, half a season of success? Because let's not forget, the Blues last year were in last place uh, last season until I think it was January 5th when they went on their run. And, uh, you know, uh, to, no, to no coincidence that that... Um, you know, coincided with uh, Jordan Bennington taking over in goal. But, um, you know, we used to look at that St. Louis team and franchise as, you know, the team that always came up short, the team that always underachieved. And all of a sudden now, um, it's just incredible to see. And it probably always has been. I Not probably. It always has been a hockey city. But to see the success, not only reboot, the image that we all have of the St. Louis Blues. But, you know, there was a five-and-a-half-hour wait of fans to get into FanFest to see the Stanley Cup over the weekend. And, I mean, if that's not an endorsement of what this sport means in the city of St. Louis, then I don't know what is. No, it's a testament to what they're building down there and and how they're going to keep it sustainable as well. And, I mean, not to mention... You look at the season they're having right now, and they're doing it with one of their marquee players in Vladimir Tarasenko. So, I mean, this team here is not only built on the ice properly, but I do believe it's built off the ice properly. Because, like we just mentioned, all the finer details have been stroked as well. So it looks like this is set up for long-term success and keeping that image the way it wants to be. I mean, five hours to see the Stanley Cup. Those fans want to see that plaque that's on there for the St. Louis Blues. But just the fact that it's theirs, right? They won it this year. And if you think about it, like you said, last year, this time, they were in last place or close to last place. And they were going to be announced to be the host of the Stanley, not Stanley Cup, the the All-Star Game. So they hadn't won the Cup. They weren't on the run they were on. But... You know, they had this coming their way. So it's almost a full circle, nice story to have it, the All-Star game there, and then win the Cup and everything happened the way that it did. No, definitely. And, and also, you know, I think you brought up an interesting point that Tarasenko hasn't been there because they've also had some other uh, key injuries. I know Cole Pareko was out of the lineup uh, for a few games. Uh, Braden Shen was nicked up. Uh, we can go down the list. Yep. Um but, you know, to me, 
the Blues and the Pittsburgh Penguins are the two, or two of the, uh, I should say, um, examples in this league that I know the different fan bases when you get when you get like key injuries to your favorite team, uh, you say, well, those those really inhibit us. But for me, you look at the Blues and you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins and the success that they've had this year, and never once do you hear them make excuses for injuries. I mean, if you look at it, uh, and, and I haven't done the numbers, but I would suggest to you, in the terms of the in terms of the Pittsburgh Penguins, that the amount of games that Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang have played together would be singular, singular, singular digits. And yet they are something like fourth or fifth in the overall standings in the National Hockey League. Each of those players have missed significant time for that team, and yet they keep on going. It's one of the reasons, actually, that I think that uh, Mike Sullivan deserves a lot of credit and deserves a lot of consideration um, for Coach of the Year honors. But um, so that, you know, between St. Louis and Pittsburgh, um, it just goes to show you. Um, and maybe it's maybe it's the New England Patriots mentality of next man up. Yep, that's one I that I always use. That, yeah, yeah. You know, it, I mean, don't you agree? I mean, you know, it always seems that the teams that and, and the fan bases that say, "Oh, we don't have this guy, we don't have that guy," to some extent that's true. But in other, in, but you know, uh, in other examples, you know, you look at the successful teams and they seem to find a way to grind through grind through they always have a guy to bring up too and you know this year a little bit for Toronto I know they struggle with the defense being out because they don't have the depth there but you look at the forward group Trevor Moore goes out yep. you bring in Pierre Ingvall and you're like wow this guy was in the minors you know and then you yep. bring in a guy like Dimitri Timoshov who can play on the you know the bottom six okay this guy was in the minors as well and then you look at they still have Kenny Agostino and other guys sitting in the minors too so yeah yep. the next step mentality is definitely being built and I think teams are starting to mirror that this is a copycat league so everything other teams do, other teams jump on right away. So I'm not saying that everybody firing their coach midway through the season is the uh, St. Louis Blues effect, but you know it's a copycat league when it's the first up mentality, and everything that's done will be redone until it's no longer used. So I, I 100% agree with you on that. No, I agree, and, and, and you make a great point with the Leafs, like some of these guys that uh, have come up, and, and even the guys that have developed, I mean, you know, um, Rasko Sandin is what he is. I think we all got excited about him uh, when we saw last year in glimpses um, what he could do. I mean, obviously, uh, selected 29th overall um, in the draft, you would think there's some teams go reevaluating, re going, how, how could we have passed over this kid? But, you know, last year we saw glimpses. Obviously, him being um, named the defenseman of the tournament at the recently finished uh, World Juniors uh, for Sweden. Um, and then what we've seen um, since he's been up here, obviously, last night, um, or I'm not sure when this runs, but uh, Wednesday night in the victory against Dallas was his 11th National Hockey League game on mon this season. On Monday, he played his 10th, so he burned away uh, a year of his entry-level contract eligibility, which is, hey, you know what? I mean, he proves he believes, belongs here. We kind of knew he was coming, but, like, I mean, could anybody have, have predicted that Justin Hall uh, would play the way that he has? No. I, I, I've been really impressed with him. And don't you think, you know, 
we don't talk about Justin Hall a lot. Nope. And when you're a young defenseman, isn't that a good thing? Because it means you're not screwing up. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I've said it all year long, and, you know, basically I've had a lot of people say, well, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, him and Han, him and Han, but he has been one of those defensemen that has steadily crafted his game to get better and better and better. Um, is he going to be, you know, a, you know, a Pitterangelo or a Dumba or any of those kind of guys? No, but can the guy wheel? Yes. Can he carry the puck pretty well? Yes. Um, is he learning about when to pinch and when not to pinch? Yes, but that comes with the fact that he was a healthy scratch 78 times last year and seen limited action or something in the 70s for, for scratches. But, you know, you get a guy now this year being used and, you know, basically getting the confidence of the coach and everything else, and you're seeing that, hey, we got a player here. This isn't just a practice guy or an AHL guy. And, you know, being 26, he's a little bit more mature in the mindset, but he earned himself a contract because of how he can play. And one thing I really liked about him was how he focuses on just the small things of the game, like making sure he's in the right body position and angling guys off. The beginning of the season, that was one thing I really noticed about him, and he really worked on that so far throughout this season. I didn't like the fact that when he got elevated in minutes, though, he looked a little exposed, and when Muzzin came back, it just looked like that pair was just solidified, and I'm wondering if you felt the same way. No, I, that's that's very insightful on your part um, to see that, and Here's the other thing, um, and this is what makes getting guys like a, a, a Justin Hall so valuable, is that um, we all know the, the Leaf salary cap crunch. We all know that between T- Tavares and Matthews and Marla, Marla, um, Marner. Marner and uh, Nylander, but those four guys take almost half, half the salary cap up. So... You are going to need um, players surrounding them that are cap-friendly. And that's why guys like Justin Hall are so valuable. Because, no, you know what? Maybe he won't be an Alex Pitarangelo down the road. He doesn't have to be. Nope. But if he is a serviceable top five, top six defenseman, okay, who doesn't hurt you and actually um, is productive... In, in so many solid ways, maybe not on the score sheet, but gives you a good chunk of minutes, is not a liability defensively, um, and every now and then can, can produce some points, um, those are the type of guys you're going to need um, to have a successful team. And he has been, to me, one of the pleasant surprises of this season for the Leafs. No, he definitely has. And we just spoke a moment ago about his defense partner in Jake Muzzin, and that pair looks like a solid pair together. They know how to read off each other for a pair that's been thrown together this year. Now, with Jake Muzzin being a UFA, he has expressed that he you know, wouldn't mind staying in Toronto, being closer to home. Do you see the Maple Leafs re-signing him, or do you see Jake Muzzin taking his talent somewhere else? I think that the Leafs would like to sign him. Um, I think that has warmed up um, to that possibility and, and you know I, I give Jake Muzzin a lot of credit because he's a local kid in terms of he's from Woodstock um, just down you know just about an hour and a half away from Toronto but when you have won a Stanley Cup uh, with the Los Angeles Kings and you've lived that lifestyle you know a lot of got a lot of the guys live down on the beach and and you know, you have three or four reporters that you deal with every day. And then you come to Toronto, and 
every little aspect of your game, of your life, is in this fishbowl. Yep. Um, it takes a while to get adjusted to that. And I think not only has Muzzin done that, but he has become, as, as Sheldon Keefe said, the consciousness of the team. And so I think there is a fit there, and that is the guy that I think um, they would like to sign once again. Cap, cap issues are going to come up, and I think a big, big thing of what the Leafs are going to do I mean, if they can get him resigned for a reasonable contract, they'll do it. Um, but again, when we talk about how they're going to surround them themselves uh, during the offseason, I think a lot is going to have to do with, um, you know, before the J- uh, July 1st uh, free agency period opens, what is the cap number going to be for next year? No, I that's that, important. You know, like in Muzzin's case, uh, if they really want him, which I think they do, They'll try to get something, and if it's a digestible number, they'll do it either way. But when you talk about some of the other players around them, I think it's all going to come come to how high that cap number goes. Well, you know, I'd be comfortable with Jake Muzzin, you know, 5'5", five, five, maybe 6. I don't know what, yep. what the, the offer out there would be on the open market for him. Probably more, obviously, what he can bring to a team. Um, I'd like to see him stay. Uh, we all know this, the Leafs defense core is going to look different after this year. Uh, with Muzzin being UFA, I don't think Tyson Berry is going to stay at all, and I don't think the Leafs mind that, to be honest. Um, it's been an off-and-again, on-again fit, a little bit better under Keefe, but I don't think it was what everybody envisioned it to be. Um, then you have Travis Dermott, who is an RFA, and Cody Cece, who will be walking away as well. I'm wondering, out of those guys... Um, we talked about Muzzin already, but do you see them retaining CC and probably Dermot, or do you see them walking away from everyone but Dermot? You know, I think, it, again, it depends on the landscape of, of, of what's out there. Um, is there somebody that's more attractive uh, to them uh, on the free agent market? Uh, and here's another thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk. I know Elliot Friedman had, had, had dropped this, that uh, they're interested in a guy like Matt Dumba uh, for the trade deadline. If they bring a guy like that in, um, well, CeCe's not coming back, and Barry certainly isn't coming back. Um, so I think a lot of that is contingent on uh, what they do in the trade market. We've heard Alec Martinez's name uh, bandied about from the Kings, where he, you know, if they were to acquire him... Um, He'd be reunited with Muzzin. They were obviously uh, teammates uh, for you know to win a Stanley Cup with the Los Angeles Kings. So, and then you have uh, Josh all... Manson from Anaheim too. That's been bantied about as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think there there's an underrated guy as well. Uh, I think that would that would be a guy that you could really go forward with if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, I think that's all plays uh, is plays into whatever contingency plan the Leafs have um, when we talk about further down the road who do you think they'll keep and who do do they not think they'll keep but I do think that Dermot uh, that's a guy that they want to lock up, he's a local kid he plays with energy he plays with enthusiasm and I think they want to keep him into the mix Yeah, some people would say he plays with that kind of prick mentality like Marchand and them where he gets yep. under your skin and he just kind of rubs you the wrong way and you want him on your team for those reasons. And you know what I think people forget? I mean, 
this guy had this guy uh, only got called up. I think it was like uh, I'm not even sure if he's reached his two years uh, in the league. So he's still learning the game. Yep. But I, I like I like the I like the uh, you know the the path that he's taken. He's getting better and better. Well, the other area of concern before we jump into the forward group is obviously the backup goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Michael Hutchinson, although has now two wins under his belt, I uh, don't think is the answer and definitely is not the heir apparent to Freddie Anderson. Now, the name that's bandied about a lot for the Maple Leafs, obviously, is going after New York Rangers backup uh, Gorgiev. I'm wondering, do you see the Leafs going after him and, and acquiring him? Obviously, the Rangers know they need to trade a goaltender. What would the price in your eyes be, and would it be fair? Because you start looking at trading Kapanen or Janssen for a guy like that, but is that a little bit of an overpayment from the Leafs, from a guy that hasn't played, I think it's barely 60 games in the league, uh, in Gorgiev? For me it is, because you've got... You've got, a, you know, both the guys you mentioned, Janssen and, and Kapanen, and they've been struggling of late, and both have had their injury woes, but I, I think we've seen flashes of their upside um, which is grounds for encouragement for sure uh, so when you have that in place um, do you really want to do that for for a backup goal, goalie for this season I mean you can address that during the off season um, by the time you make a trade like that say they wait until you know the, the, the third fourth week of February at the trade deadline to make that deal so you're talking about a backup goalie for six weeks down the stretch. Yep. So if anything happened to Freddie Anderson, do we know that this kid can step in there and say it was the playoffs and win them a round, win them two rounds? I mean, Freddie Anderson hasn't even won them a round in the playoffs, and I'm not saying that's his fault, but that's a fact. No, no, it's so, true. You know, I mean, I, I just, I understand the need. Um, but to give up one of those two guys on such cap-friendly salaries, I'd be a little hesitant to do something like that. So what if everybody got cooking? I know another player that's on the block for the New York Rangers, um, or maybe on the block, is Chris Kreider. What if you got a deal going like Kapanen plus plus, and maybe you're able to slide off CC off your books too? Um, and you know you start cooking a deal. Is that something that might entice the Maple Leafs and factor in the fact that maybe New York says, "Hey, you can negotiate um, a deal with Georgiev if he wants to um, before the trade goes down," like some teams do? Would that help sweeten it, or do you think it's something just addressed in the off season? You know what, it could. I, I just don't see Kreider coming to Toronto because they think. He is one of the big fish in the trade market, and I think there's another team that's that's specifically focused on we need a Chris Kreider to improve our forwards that would be willing to give up more for him um, than the Maple Leafs would or, frankly, should. Yeah. Um, because in my estimation, that you know, forward is the last... The forward ranks are the last position the Leafs uh, need to address. Under the caveat that if they were to look for a forward, um, I'm not looking for like a speed guy like Kreider. I'm looking for a guy with some jam. Some um, sandpaper. I'm not sure who's going to be out there. Um, you know, last year there was talk about Wayne Simmons, and, and 
that would be the type of guy that I, I would be looking for if it did if the price wasn't too high. Just a guy that could stir it up a little bit, um, go into the greasy area, and uh, just give the Leafs a little, little more sandpaper than they have now. See, I'm a huge fan of uh, Wayne Simmons. When I was talking to Rob Reese last week, he said, you know, Simmons may be past his prime and may not give the Leafs what they want. And then, yeah. um, you know, in talking to Chris Rosell, he said that Simmons has zero interest in wanting to leave. I mean, if he did want to leave, Mike, would you see the Leafs maybe wanting to go take, you know, run out a guy who's local for one, and for two, can he add what they need, or is his best days behind him now? Well, I do think I, and I agree with Rob that maybe uh, his, his, I don't want to say his best days are behind him, but I think uh, you know uh, he can. He's not as consistent a force uh, playing that sandpaper type of game like he used to be. And I just can't see the Leafs, uh, you know, I, I remember last year there was talk of second-round picks and stuff like that to give up for him. I can't I can't see them giving up a second uh, for, Wayne, for Wayne Simmons this year. But, um, you know, if there's maybe other players of his ilk that are maybe closer to their prime. Uh, and right now in the top of my head, um, I don't have any candidates in mind, but, uh, you know, I, those are the types of guys I'd like to see him. And I'll be honest. I mean, when I saw the bargain that the Tampa Bay lightning got, uh, in Patrick Maroon, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think he he can't be making much more than eight or 900,000 this year. Um, I remember when I saw that, I thought, you know, and I'm a little biased. I covered, after the Leafs were eliminated by the Bruins last year, I covered three rounds of playoffs but uh, uh, with the St. Louis Blues. But I just thought, wow, if you could get somebody like that that cheap. Um, you know, Patrick Maroon would have been an intriguing ad uh, for the Leafs, if nothing else, uh, as a guy on the second power play that would just stir things up in front of the net. So, um, but things went, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but like I said, I think that uh, if I were the Leafs, my priorities on the trade market, obviously, and I mean, you know, I, you don't have to be a genius to do this, but uh, number to, to put it in this order, but number one is defense, number two would be the backup goaltending, and number three would be maybe a little more grit in the forwards. But when it comes to adding a skilled forward, I mean, unless you think this guy's going to put really put you over the top and... Uh, you know, you're going to win every game by by seven to five instead of five to three. Then maybe you go for it. But you know, interesting the game against Dallas on Wednesday, which they won uh, five to three. That set a franchise record. The Leafs have now scored at least four goals in eight consecutive road games. So um, we know that the one place that they don't really need any help is offense. No, their goal scoring is pretty prolific, and I mean. That's factoring into the fact that Tavares is a little bit slowed down right at the moment. Like you said, Kapanen and Janssen are dealing with their own issues. So, I mean, if you get those guys firing on more of a cylinder, you're going to start potting the puck a little bit more too. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Up front, maybe some jam. But, I mean, if you add a Josh Manson on the back end for defense, maybe that's where you get your jam from. A little bit of a, a crunching defenseman sometimes, a hard-nosed guy. But, um Right now we have the Maple Leafs sitting out of the playoffs, even after picking up four points coming out of their bye week. I'm wondering, Mike, do you see these guys top three in the Atlantic or battling for a wild card spot? Um, 
either or. But I like what I've seen the last couple of games. I think the break was huge for this team. Getting Muzzin back was huge for this team. Um, they have a big uh, amount of uh, home games coming up. Uh, so, you know what? I, I do think that uh, they're trending in the right direction. And we can look at the playoffs now, but we're still at the end of January. And, yep. You know, oh, they're on the outside looking in. Um, but when I look at some of these other teams, I mean, even for the wild card, like how, you know, Columbus has done a great job, but how long is that sustainable? Yeah. Um, I love Carolina's team, but I have questions about their goaltending. Um, I just think, I just think when I look at this Leafs team as a whole, um, you know, this shouldn't even be an issue. And I think we all agree. The one thing we all agree on is if there was any way that this team does not make the playoffs, it would be a resounding with a capital R disappointment at all levels. Oh, for sure. 100%. And there'd obviously have to be looked at, you know, personnel movement or something, obviously. But I mean, if you factor in the fact you look at the team under Sheldon Keefe when he took over from Babcock, you know, if they had Keefe all year long, would they be in this position now? Who knows? Um, but obviously, Keefe breathed a whole lot of life into this squad and has done different things. You look at the underlying numbers, you look at the statistics, whether it's power play, penalty kill, you look at everything, it's all better, better under Keefe. So, I mean, if you had him earlier, would this be an issue now? Who knows? But I think that they, they should have pulled the plug on Babcock a little earlier. I do believe these guys are a playoff-bound team. And I even think that they're going to make some noise in the playoffs. But uh, we have to get there first, I guess. Yeah. Um, and the Babcock thing is fascinating because, uh, you know, uh, the one thing um, that I was told is that, uh, you know, a lot of people said, uh, well, they should have pulled the plug on him uh, after last season. I think that management looked at Game 5. And if you recall, Game 5 against Boston, the Leafs won 2 to nothing or 2-1. to one. Yep. That was really that, in Boston. That score was not indicted, indicative of how much better the Leafs played than the Bruins in that game. So we had a little bit of audio technical difficulty there. And unfortunately, the rest of what Mike said did get cut off. But he was talking about... The reason why Babcock got retained and kept on for the rest of the season and into this one. Uh, it was great to speak with Mike. Obviously a great conversation that got cut short uh, due to technical difficulties. But we will have him back on yet again. want to thank Mike for stopping by. Be sure to check out his links on the bottom of this podcast for you to check out and for your listening pleasure. All right, guys. Thanks for stopping by yet again on Offside. And we'll see you next time.